I think people tend to set limitations that are made up fictional limitations to themselves. And I think you need to always try to ask the questions like, is this actual limitations that I have? Or is it limitations that I'm just creating because I'm scared to do the things I want to do? Vaishali Lara Katuria is a New York-based equity analyst investing in emerging markets. She started her finance career at Norges Bank Investment Management and likes to consider herself the Drew Joyce of asset management. She's born and raised in Bergen, Norway to Indian parents and has lived in Norway, India, Mexico, Argentina and Italy. Let's start the episode. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies, which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q-U-A-R-T-R. All opinions expressed by Christopher Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christophe Volnheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Welcome back, everybody. Super excited to be joined by Vashali. And Vashali, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. Feels like this podcast has been in the making for three to four years, but I'm so happy we finally got the chance to to do it. Can you just make a quick introduction until uh, about your upbringing and how you got involved in this finance circus? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, where to start? I guess. I mean, my name is Vaishali. I grew up. Uh, I'm born and raised in Bergen, Norway, which is the second largest city of Norway. Um, I grew up with Indian parents, so I grew up going in between New Delhi and Bergen, which is probably the two starkest different countries or places you can think of on planet Earth. Um, And I think that really influenced what I wanted to do, which was that I always kind of questioned myself, questioned why there was a difference between India being a poor country that was really large and had a lot of people and Norway being a smaller country that was very uh, wealthy and the kind of access I had to education um, and opportunities here versus what my cousins and my family back home had in India. And so I think early on, I got this interest in economics and trying to understand how the world works, I guess. And so I went to study at the Norwegian School of Economics. Uh, I took a bachelor and master's there. Um, And then, you know, something that people tend to not say is that, you know, I I was very active in, I I thought I wanted to be a journalist. 
And so I was very active in the student newspaper at the Norwegian School of Economics. And I ended up working in communications and public relations after I graduated from there and quickly realized that I needed to course correct and kind of find a new path. And I think that's really important for young people because I think people think that, you know, you start off on this journey and then everything kind of goes smoothly in one direction, but that's not really the case, right? You, you try things, you fail, you try things you might not enjoy, and then you eventually sort of find your way to whatever you're supposed to do in life uh, career-wise. So I decided, you know, I, I want to course correct a little bit. And I had, I decided then I had two dreams that I, I didn't want to sort of let go of. One was to move to New York City to study at an Ivy League school. And I know it's, you know, childish in a sense that you probably watched, I probably saw some television show and I saw an Ivy League school and I learned what that was. And I said, oh, I wish I can do that, you know, one day. And so I thought, you know, I'm not, I don't enjoy what I'm doing right now. So let's, let's go. Let's, let's try to, you know, reach that goal. And so I, you know, did everything. I mean, I started off, you know, given that you're from Norway, I didn't know anyone who went to Ivy League. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. I started identifying which schools I wanted to go to. I found out Columbia University is in New York. So I thought, you know, kill two birds with one stone. And I started kind of just, you know, focusing on how to get into Columbia University. And I, I think I spent two years, I always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to do it. So I, I did a lot of things during my education and my childhood that, but I think during those two years, I just um, applied. I think I, the first day was literally Googling how to get into Columbia University um, and take it from there. And then in 2014, I moved moved to New York, I started a new master's degree in international affairs, where I focused on finance and economic policy. Um, and then I realized within a year that New York is not one of those places that I just want to have living experiences in. New York is home. Like I never felt as home as I, I do in New York because I'm still living there. And so I, I realized, you know, I want to work in finance because I found that to be very interesting, but I want to work in finance in a sense to make finance a part of the solution of you know, global issues. And so I thought, okay, I want to work in finance. I want to stay in New York and working for the oil fund, Norgis Bank is sort of, you know, something that I think a lot of Norwegians want to do, um, kind of serving a larger purpose, not only working for the Norwegian people, but also sort of working for one of the largest investors in the world that can really move the needle in terms of making the investor community part of uh, the, the solution, not the problem. And so I kind of, you know, set another target, which was to get a job at Norgis Bank in New York and um, took, you know, internships at Morgan Stanley, um, did internships at Clinton Foundation, uh, did a lot of focus on on finance in my studies, and then you know found a opening uh, when I was graduating from Columbia um, at NBIM, and I did not have a plan B. <laughs> Basically, I walked into the interview and I said, "This I was made for this job, and I, I need this job." Um, and and fortunately, you know, I got it, and so I spent four years working for the oil fund. 
in New York um, in 2020, I actually decided right before COVID hit, I decided to start working at uh, another private New York to get a little bit more broad experience. And, and that's where I'm at right now. So that was a very long reply to your short answer, short question, I guess. Basically the whole life story, but going back just a bit, because I want to talk about some concepts and pair them up together. Can you talk a bit about that feeling of being the second generation in a new country and the pressure tied into that and the need to get straight A's, et cetera, because you've made many people say that they feel like they deserved or the parent, their parents deserve that they're trying their best to achieve the greatest dreams, right? Can you just talk about that concept and how that reflects, you know, upbringing, education, and that drive and ambition? Yes, definitely. I think, I mean, the, the kind of obvious, um, the, exactly what you're saying. I think we do have this, our, our second generations make us aware of it too, how much they sacrifice to give us all the opportunities that you get when you grow up in Norway, Norway versus the countries we're from, right? The fact that education is free, which is something we in Norway take for granted, um, which is not something you, you take for granted other places. So, and, and I think that it's also about, you know, leading by example. So, my mom, she is the youngest of nine siblings. She's from a village, literally a village outside of New Delhi. Um, and she, during her lifetime, during her generation, have gone from being, you know, a rural working class Indian to uh, upper middle class Norwegian, you know, just her. Um, and my, my dad has a similar story. And, you know, if that is who your parents are, you know, when people say, oh, Vashali, you've been able to do so much at a young age, I say, you know, you should meet my parents. I haven't really, you know, I haven't done half of what they have done during their generation, you know, where you get that grit from. You don't take anything for granted. Uh, and you have these people that are leading by example. But then I think thirdly, and I think it's also a kind of underestimated aspect of being second generation is you always feel like an outsider. Um, sometimes people make that very clear to you that you are other, as we say it, or it, it, you're, you're very clear on it yourself. You know, I didn't grow up with a lot of people who looked like me. And I think when you have that outsider perspective, you tend to be very underestimated and you're sort of like the underdog. Right. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, I love being underestimated. I think underestimated and being, you know, being underestimated is very motivating for me. You know, I, I get, I get this like feeling, you know, I'm going to show you, you know, you think I can't do this. Well, I'm going to show you that I can. And, and I think that level of adversity that you feel because you're an outsider, people tell you, you can't do things. It just, you just want to prove them so much. And I remember, I mean, this is sort of a, I can't believe I'm sharing this on a podcast, but, um, you know, the LeBron documentary, More Than a Game? I don't know if you've seen that. So, so it's about LeBron. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's called More Than a Game. And it's not only about LeBron, but it's about all of his buddies that he plays basketball with during his childhood. And there's this one guy that plays basketball in this group of five, and his name is Drew Joyce. And Drew Joyce is literally the shortest person. You know, he's a really tiny guy, really skinny. And 
there's this, you know, whenever I go on an important job interview or I'm, I'm having an exam or something and I, I feel this like I want to I want to kind of foster this underdog feeling. I will watch the scene from this documentary when Drew Joyce, who is so underestimated with any, from anyone, gets traded into a game and scores seven three-pointers during that game and sort of proves everyone wrong, right? And that, that I don't re-watch the whole documentary, but I'll watch that clip on YouTube every time I have like a job interview. <laughs> so, so I think, yeah, I think, I think being the underdog is something that really motivates me. I don't think I'm considered an underdog anymore, maybe, but yeah, I think that's a really important aspect. I think that is overlooked when you talk about people of second generation, for sure. Definitely. It's funny that you reference LeBron because I have a similar, not documentary, but there's a book about Stephen Curry who has like the same because he was the smallest guy, tiniest guy. And look at him now just beating the three point record. But it's so it's again a bit funny because I, I was uh, about to ask you about another movie or a TV series. I can't remember if it's Sex in the City or Girls or anything like that. But you have used that series as a reference into why you decided to go to New York and really go for it. Do you remember that story at all? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, interesting that you asked me about that. So basically, I'm a part of uh, the alumni organization of SICT, which is what the Crown Prince of Norway has. Uh, it's sort of a, it, his philosophy behind it is to bring people between the age of 20 and 40 together every year and sort of foster collaborations um, across industries uh, and, and sort of make good things happen. And um, in 2016, I was attending this conference and I was asked to, um, I was asked to spend five minutes talking about what drives me, what's my sort of driver. And, you know, usually when people get these five minutes, they spend it talking about what they've done and what they've achieved in life. And I remember at that point, I just started working at the oil fund and I, you know, honestly didn't feel I'd achieved anything. You know, I'd, I'd just been ambitious and, and, you know, reach the goals I wanted to set, but I hadn't started a company. I hadn't, you know, saved lives in any ways. I hadn't, you know, served as a soldier. I hadn't done anything like that. So I felt, you know, if I have five minutes in front of all these sort of future leaders of Norway that are young and ambitious, Prince and other kind of CEOs and so on, what do I want to tell them? And I think one thing that, especially you know, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. I think as a millennial, I think that especially in Norway, we grow up having the luxury, I guess, to focus all of our energy to kind of, you know, on the highest, uh, highest level of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You know, self-realization. We don't have to focus on getting food on our table. We don't have to focus on you know, getting a roof over our heads, we can just focus on kind of being the best that we can be in whatever, you know, whatever shape or form. And I think my agenda for those five minutes was to tell people like me, my peer, you know, that's great. But I think at the end of the day, we need to have humbleness that, you know, at the end of the day, we're just workers. And, and what we're trying to do is we need to collaborate in order to solve problems that are quite imminent, you know, where we talk about social inequality globally, 
when we talk about climate change, when we look at politicians not being able to make those changes at them, you know, or their, their shortcomings, I would say, you know, I think it's important that we try to humble ourselves in the sense that it's not only about you reaching your, you know, potential, but it's more about how can I be a part of changing the world to the better and maybe not getting attention for it, but just being a part of, you know, the solution going forward. And I think the reason I mentioned it was from girls is that it's the opening scene where Hannah says that, you know, I want to be the voice of my generation. And I, I remember being so sort of, what do you call it? Like self uh, self-focused that I was like, I was laughing because yes, it is completely who I am. And I think our generation is, but I think we shouldn't be that way, I guess. And I think that was sort of my agenda of what I wanted to tell people that day. It's a very good story. Uh, just going back to another concept. So in general, if you're going to, if you are going to have success in finance, it's brutal hours. It's a lot of hard work. I mean, there are some very, I would even dare to call them funny surveys from Goldman Sachs, etc., that kind of like just summarize the pressure, right? Being young, trying to, to succeed. If you have to talk about two concept, work-life balance versus work-life harmony, do you have a view on those two concepts and has that evolved over the years? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I would say that the finance industry, I think people think of it as more monolith than it really is. So um, in terms of working on what we call sell side, you know, working in investment banks such as Goldman versus what I do for work, it's very different. Um, so you can definitely, if you have an interest in working in finance, I think people tend to look at, you know, watch these TV shows like Billions or Industry and thinking, you know, that's 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 all there is to that industry. And I would say um, it's not really. It's one of the largest industries in the world. So you can definitely obtain work-life balance uh, or work-life harmony in that industry. But it is one of those industries where you do get very engulfed in what you do, right? You're trying to constantly watch the market and try to beat everyone in the market. So you can get very it can drown you in the sense that that's all that you care and think about 24 seven, definitely. Um, but when it comes to, I mean, I can only speak for myself, you know, I'm 33 now and I, I think I've been one of those people that I'm sure you have most of them that you have on your podcast, that people that are, you know, they're, they're very, we're very, you know, we, we, we don't leave things to chance. We have sort of our plans, we have our ambitions, and then we go for them. And we really want to reach certain goals in life. And, you know, Carpe raps about planning your life in a Excel spreadsheet. Now, I've definitely been one of those people. I still probably am one of those people. I don't leave anything to chance. I would argue that I don't have the privilege of leaving things to chance either you know um I think you know when you hear people like oh and then I just applied for that job and I got it and now I love it like I was not I I was not one of those people I would set a target and then try to reach that target that's kind of been my life but I think now I I'm at this place in my life where and you talk about work-life harmony um I think I'm trying to 
find that, I guess. I think I'm going from building resume to building character, um, which for me entails trying to find out who I've been, you know, instead of kind of where I'm going, trying to be like, who am I as a person? What do I enjoy doing? Um, what do I care about? What kind of, uh, what kind of issues, you know, do I solve as a person? Like what makes me happy? What enriches my life essentially? Um, and so, yes, I think, you know, if there's something that I want your listeners to sort of come away with, with this conversation is that at some point, you know, doing those things is really important, but at one point, you know, take, you know, rest and sort of, you know, harvest what you've reached. And, you know, maybe you're on, uh, maybe you're on autopilot for now, and maybe you're, you're, you to go forward, you know, in the future, but try to go on autopilot occasionally when it comes to your work. So you can focus on, you know, your life and, and, and becoming the person you want to be personally as well. Right. Yeah. I find it to be a very interesting topic because if you go to, if you go on the route that there's a work life balance, that also implies that you have a trade off to make, right? So there's a amount, there's a, there's a scale to be made here. So, but if you go the harmony route, maybe you become more resilient because obviously you can't control the finance markets. So if the finance markets is going to dominate your life and well-being, it's probably just a matter of time until you're going to have some very bad months and then it can spiral, right? So without going into too much detail, can you sort of share some of the moments where you have felt like, okay, now I need to rest or find other hobbies or other interests and how you have balanced that in your life working in New York? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good, especially because New York is just one of those places where everyone around you is sort of the best at what they do. Uh, and you want to become the best at what you do because of that. Um, I think in Norway, the benefit is that we do have the privilege of being able to find balance, you know, find that harmony as we're referring to um, that because we can, you know, leave work a little bit earlier and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it becomes an identity identity defining thing, what you do for work a hundred percent. I would say, you know, 2020 was a, was a hard year for everyone. And it was also a year that I think a lot of people reflected on, especially what they do for work, just because, and you do see this great, you know, the great resignation. And I think the reason is that you spend a lot of time alone. You spend a lot of time away from your office. So you, you, you're really, you really get to focus on what is it that I do day to day? And do I actually like what I do day to day? You know, does it enrich my life? Um, so yeah, you had like a great resignation, but I think 2020 was really hard for me too, but I think 2021 was definitely, you know, this year has been very, def you know, defining in the sense that, I mean, it's hard to not get not get personal, but I think I think people like myself, um, we 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 want to plan. You know, you can plan education and you can plan your career in a spreadsheet. You know, you 
you can find target that you can reach. But when it comes to your personal life, you can't, you know, you, you don't know when you're going to find who you're going to be with. You don't know when you're, if you're going to be a parent, if you want to be, when you can, if there's a deadline, which it is as a woman. And I think, I think my year now that I'm early thirties, I think this is when I've started realizing that, you know, there are certain things that you can't plan. And there are certain things that you thought, you know, I, I pictured my life at 33 when I was younger and I thought I was somewhere else than I, than I am. And you can make that ruined you or stress you out, or it can make you say, okay, I wasn't where I wanted to be uh, at 33, but maybe I am at 35 or I'm redefining what I want to be or where I want to be and try to not, you know, have that mentality of Joneses, as you say in the US, right? Like, oh, you know, by the time I'm on this age, I want to be engaged. And then by the time I'm this age, I want to have one kid or, you know, now it's time to buy, you know, I move from an apartment to a house and I think, or have a dog in a Volvo. And, you know, I think you as a person have to decide, you know, what is most important to you? Is it important to you to kind of follow the recipe of life the way that you are raised to follow it or do you kind of try to take life as it comes and then and enjoy that you're alive and that you're healthy and then everything else is sort of sprinkles on a Sunday and I think maybe 2021 for me was the latter right to to know that I was one of one of the people who, you know, had a place to live, who didn't lose my job, who didn't, wasn't essential worker, who didn't die, who didn't knock on wood, know anyone who did, you know? Um, so everything else that life throws at you is sprinkles on a Sunday. And I think, I think that will make you mentally more resilient. Um, and that's definitely what, you know, I'm trying to preach that to myself, but I think that's really important to, to have in mind, especially for younger people like us. Excellent point. Just wrapping up the final questions. Do you have any final reflections? I mean, we touched upon a lot of stuff, so it's hard to sort of summarize it, but are there any reflections you would like to just share with the audience? Because we can imagine that there are very many younger people listening who are, would love to have the same career as you have. Is there any final thoughts to wrap this episode up with? I mean, yeah, it's been a really interesting conversation. Um, I would say, I would say for young people, I think one tendency I have when I'm back in Norway, like I am now, is that I will meet people, and if it, if you know, if, if the conversation comes up that I live in New York, people tend to say, "Oh, I've always had a dream about doing that," or you know, and then they sort of say it in a way that that's not going to happen, like that that's a dream that I'm not going to follow. And I think for me, you know, speaking about my background that we were, you know, following dreams was just something that was, that came from, you know, my mother's milk. There wasn't any other question. Um, and I think, I think people tend to, I think people tend to set limitations that are, that are made up fictional limitations to themselves. And I think, you need to always try to ask the questions like, is this actual limitations that I have? Or is it limitations that I'm just creating because I'm scared to do the things I want to do? So I'm trying to like 
make excuses for myself. So I think challenging yourself to um, try to, you know, challenge yourself to not be scared and, and say that the downside, especially if you're a young Norwegian, the downside of moving somewhere is zero. It is absolutely zero. There's only upside to adding multiple dimensions to your life, um, learning who you are somewhere and you fail completely. The learnings you do as a person, the growth that you have as a person is worth the some money that you might have you know, lost during that period. I think that's one thing. For older people, I would also say, you know, I think one mentality that I've gotten from living in New York is nothing is ever too late. Like changing things up is never too late. Um, I go to ballet every Thursday and most of the people I have ballet classes with are, you know, women around my own age. But then I have this 70 year old guy who is always there and he's, you know, decked out in proper ballet outfit and he's there every Thursday and he's, you know, magnificent. And, and that he sort of encapsulate what I think, you know, he's not weird. No one looks at his, him strange every Thursday he does this and he's a retired man. So why shouldn't he? So I think not thinking that things are too late, not thinking you've missed the boat. You know, I think one quote that I saw in an Indian movie was that sometimes the wrong train will get you to the right station is such a kind of heartwarming thing to say that despite, you know, all these different routes that you're taking, like eventually everything in, in retrospect get, like led you to the person that you were supposed to be career-wise or personality-wise or who you were supposed to be, but do not put limitations on yourself. That is the only person that that's going to hurt is yourself. That's cheesy, but you know. <laughs> I was about to say it's a perfect ending. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Ashali. It was a pleasure finally getting you on the show. Thank you for having me. Over the last years, we have tried to give our community the best possible content on business, investing, and entrepreneurship. If you have enjoyed this free content over time and find it valuable, it would be amazing if you want to support us by making a small donation in our Patreon. Just click the link in the description to have a look. If you want to watch this episode as well, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to the channel.